Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace yo, yo, peace. what's up, Epiphany? Uh, first of all, Gabe, I am glad you moved out of the way. Uh, man, it's so good to be gathered with you today. It is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 that says, uh, Do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. And yes, we're meeting virtually. We, we are not physically gathered. We are virtually meeting. And, and that means that you are meeting in the chat rooms and, and you're meeting like this. We get to look at each other. At least I get you get to look at me. I can't see you. Uh, actually, I can see you, but I can't see your face. Uh, nevertheless, it is good to be gathered with God's people celebrating Uh, the name of Jesus Christ. You know, in the midst of such a chaotic season that we're in, it is so good when you get to uh, view uh, those that are in the chat room chatting and seeing life and seeing energy and seeing uh, mobility. And and I'm certainly grateful. I'm grateful for life this morning. Well, listen, I'm excited to preach the word of God today. It is my responsibility every single week to unpack the word of God. And so today is no different. Grab your Bibles and go to a book that I I don't know if you've done a lot of devotion in or not, but go to 2 Chronicles chapter 9, 2 Chronicles chapter 9, back in the Old Testament. Uh, Happy birthday to Elliot, by the way. I love that, that precious baby girl. Uh, Listen, man, I'm excited, like really, really excited. Today is a a great day because we are in a brand new sermon series, a brand new sermon series that we are calling Widen the Lens. And what we mean by that is we're trying to take a a critical look at the role that Africans have played in Africa overall has played in shaping the scriptures. It's certainly been my experience that uh, many seminaries and Western scholars and churches and, and, and theological thinkers have uh, overlooked or bypassed this rich history that we have when we look at Africa. But I'll, I'll say it this way. In fact, I'll quote Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And then he says, and the ends of the earth. I, I just believe that Africa is a part of the ends of the earth so for the next four weeks, we'll be digging in and looking at what it looks like to see how Africans have shaped the very faith that we hold so, 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 so dear. You know, it is very negligent to overlook the passages that talk about the African presence. You know, Paul says, I preach the whole counsel of God's word. And so preaching the whole counsel of God's word means that we have to dig in and look at what it looks like to see African presence in the scriptures. And I'm excited today because we are going to look at a stellar queen from Africa. Would you do me a favor? Pick me up in verse one. We're in Second Chronicles chapter nine. You should be there right now. Uh, y'all are most of our church is young. So y'all are probably on your devices. But if you have a physical copy, we are in Second Chronicles nine. It says this. Now, when the queen of Sheba underline that heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions having a very great retinue and camels bearing spices and very much uh, gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered her questions. There was nothing hidden from Solomon that could not be explained to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, 
their clothing, his cupbearer and their clothing and his burnt offering that he had that he had offered at the house of the Lord. There was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, the report is true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I, I did not believe the report until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, half the greatness of your wisdom was not told. You surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your wives. I, I don't know if she was trying to get in some type, type of entanglement with that last statement or not. Uh, but I'll just keep reading. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Please underline verse eight. It is so important. It's going to become important when we get to the New Testament uh, and we look back at what uh, the New Testament says about this queen. Verse eight says, blessed be the Lord, your God, who has delighted in you and set you on his throne as king for the Lord, your God, because your God loved Israel and would establish them forever. He has made you king over them and that you may execute just justice and righteousness. Let me read that again, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Clearly, this queen hates injustice. Verse nine, and then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. And there was no spices such as those that Queen Sheba gave to King Solomon. Jump down to verse 12. The king Solomon gave, then King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all that she had desired, whatever she had asked beside what she had brought to the king. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. I want to preach today from the topic entitled lessons from an African queen. Let me say that again. Lessons from an African queen. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Lord, father, would you meet us today as we dig into your word? We are desperate to hear from you. Father, we thank you, O God, for the presence of all tribes and all nations that are present in the scriptures. And as we take a hyper-focused look over the next four weeks of the African presence in the scriptures, Father, would you begin to recondition our minds? Would you begin to recondition our hearts? Would you stir up our affections for a God that is able to save any and every body? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Lessons from an African queen. It was February 16th, 2018, when Marvel put out, I would argue, one of the best movies that they've ever put out, and that's Black Panther. I don't know if you know this, Wakanda Forever. I don't know if you know this, but the movie itself grossed over $1.3 billion. Not million, billion dollars. Y'all remember when the movie came out. In fact, we was here on a Sunday and half the church had on African print and kente cloth and we was ready. As soon as we said amen, a bunch of us jumped in Ubers and jumped on the train and we went down to J Street Metro Tech decal and we went over there and we watched the movie all together. We were garbed up. We were we were excited. The morale was all up in the movie theater. Why? Because there was a sense of belonging that we had. There was a sense of connection that we were trying to find. But what I found more interesting than that specific day was the following months after the movie dropped. I don't know if you know this, but after the movie dropped, many African-Americans had a deeper desire to understand their heritage. And so many of them went to Ancestry.com. 
32%, listen to this, Ancestry.com went up 32% among African Americans in search of their lineage, in search of their heritage. I have no clue if they were searching to see if they were from Wakanda, which isn't a real place, but we, we were so excited at the time. Many of us just wanted to find where did we belong. Why? Because we, many of us live in a country that our history and our lineage was stripped from us. And so many of us don't know what our family history even looks like underneath of that desire to learn our heritage. I think what was happening was we were trying to piece together what was stolen from us. Uh, underneath that, that, that desire to find out our heritage was the possibility of us dreaming about what an Africa could look like if there were no slave trades, if there, if there never was a transatlantic slave trade, what would Africa looked like, and many of us were longing to try to see what that looked like. I'll tell you this, as the years went on after Black Panther, many of us are still in search of trying to find some type of confidence in who we are, and I believe that the scriptures are going to help us. I believe that the next four weeks are going to help us. I believe that queen, the Queen of Sheba is going to help us today and really help us to decolonize our thinking. Say that again, that that's the point of our passage today. And the point of our overall series is to decolonize our spiritual thinking. Many of us have a very Eurocentric interpretation of scripture. We, we have a very Americanized interpretation of scripture. What I've always argued is that we have to unwrap the American flag from off of the cross of Jesus Christ and allow the cross to just be the cross. And I love today because the queen of Sheba is going to help us. We arrive at a passage where there is a young lady that is an African queen that travels far and she travels all the way up north in order to get before the wisest king that ever walked the earth. Bump that, the wisest man to ever walk the earth outside of Jesus Christ. Let's get a little acquainted and introduced with our character today. Verse one says, I hope y'all are rocking with me here. It says, now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions, having a great retinue in camels bearing spices and very, uh, and very much gold and precious stones, And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind, lifting up the first part. Now, when the queen of Sheba, I know what you're asking, because I was asking the same question This is what you're asking. You're asking, where is the kingdom of Sheba? Like if if you point me to Galilee, I know I know where that's at. You point me to Jerusalem. I I know where that's at there. There are certain parts of scripture that we know exactly where they are. Where is the kingdom of Sheba? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's really three schools of thought of where the kingdom of Sheba was, ancient Sheba was. First is that her kingdom, the queen of Sheba's kingdom, was in Arabia. Many believe that it's modern day Yemen is where the city is over 12,000 years, uh, 1,200 years B.C. before Christ. Uh, this city would have sat there and, and many people believe that it was wiped out due to its own internal civil wars. The Sabean people were nomads. They would travel and travel and travel and they would settle at a place that had good resources and natural resources. So many believe that our kingdom was Arabia. That there's a second school of thought. Track with me for a second as we lay a little foundation. The second school of thought is that her kingdom was actually located in Ethiopia. If you look at a map, in fact, pull up that map for me. I know that map's coming up somewhere around me. Pull up that map for a second. Ethiopia was located just west 
of Arabia, only divided by the Red Sea. If you look at this map, we have circled here Yemen, which is, Ma- which is ancient Arabia and Ethiopia. Here's the second school of thought. The, sec- the third school of thought, I should say, is that her kingdom was actually both territories. That her kingdom that she ruled over, the, the kingdom of Sheba would have been in Ethiopia and it would have been in Yemen. In fact, if you look at ancient writers like Josephus, he calls her the queen of Egypt and the queen of Ethiopia. So in, in other words, her kingdom was vast. And even though we don't know exactly where her kingdom was, here's what we do know. In order for her to rule over such a massive land, she had to be a boss. In order for her to rule over such a massive kingdom, a wealthy kingdom, a rich kingdom, a thriving kingdom, she would have had to have strong leadership. If you understand how this worked, when heads of state were over a kingdom, you got to understand there's a couple of things that they had to have leadership over. They had to balance, balance the kingdom's budget. She would have had to build up a massive army in order to defend against intruders. And if you looked at that map and looked at it well, she would have had to defend two pieces of land and the border where the Red Sea was. That takes leadership. Sometimes we read this stuff and we just keep moving. But you got to understand that homie's a boss. My my, my girl, Queen of Sheba, is a strong leader. She would have had to legislate fair laws. That's part of her leadership. And clearly she, verse 8 says that she is serious about executing justice and righteousness. She's serious about that. So if you understand her kingdom and her leadership, she would have had to legislate fair laws. She would have had to develop other rulers and other leaders in order to even be gone on a trip like this. Many believe that this trip took six months. She would have had to have good leadership in place, which says a lot about her current leader, leadership. And this is the first lesson that we learn from the Queen of Sheba. The first lesson that you learn from the Queen of Sheba is that she was notable with her leadership. And let me help you out. So it is with you. Let me talk specifically really quickly to all of you, uh, all all of you women that that, uh, are from African descent. I I just want to encourage you today and just let you know you come from good leadership, that there is good leadership in your blood. And, you know, unfortunately, we live in a society where we have very misogynistic views against women. They're too emotional. They're unstable. They're, they're extra. I heard one guy tell me, man, a woman couldn't be president because if a woman was president uh, at least one time of the month, she's going to start a war. But I'm like, didn't every war in this nation start under a male leader? It's a very misogynistic view of women. In fact, when I, when I was reading and I was, trying to, I was trying to do some research on this passage here in Second Chronicles, you can also read First Kings 10. It's the same passage. When I was doing research on them, you would be surprised how many commentators leaned more towards the wisdom of Solomon and overlooked the leadership of the Queen of Sheba. This is what I know about our girl. She has good leadership, and so it is with you. You also can have good leadership. In fact, let let me just go through a list of if you need proof of women that had good leadership. Here you go. Harriet Tubman had good leadership. Rosa Parks had good leadership. Fannie Lou Hamer had good leadership. Shirley Chisholm had good leadership. 
Ella Josephine Baker had good leadership. All of these black women were dynamic in their leadership. Their leadership was strong. And what we get from the text today is the queen of Sheba would have ruled over a massive land, meaning she was a boss. Unfortunately, this misogynistic view has undervalued the leadership gift of women. And y'all know it's true. Many of us are guilty of overlooking the leadership, but we need you, ladies, we need your leadership. We, we need you to step, we need you to be in the places that, that, that men think that only they should be. We need our ladies in those places. And you know how I know misogynistic views are running rampant within our culture because many of us can't even imagine a, a, a black woman running a Fortune 500 company or running the country or running a city or running a state. We have to change the way we think because when I read this, the Queen of Sheba had strong leadership. The Bible says here in verse one that she had a great retinue. That, that just simply means she had a great group of advisors that traveled with her, a great group of assistants she traveled with her squad. And so I just want to encourage you ladies out there today. Listen, you're a boss. You, you could be a leader, but, but don't just notice the leadership of the queen of Sheba. Also notice that the other lesson we get from her is that she is a seeker of truth. She is a seeker of further wisdom. You got to understand that she could have stayed in her kingdom and said, I don't need no wisdom. We got money. We are thriving. We are defending our borders. I don't need any other wisdom from anywhere else. But the Bible says in verse one and verse two that she travels to get good wisdom from King Solomon. Look at verse two. It says, and Solomon answered all of her questions and there was nothing hidden from Solomon that he could not explain to her. She came all the way to Jerusalem to seek wisdom. And what I love about her is this is also good leadership. She didn't just pick wisdom from anywhere. She chose to get it from the wisest person that ever walked the earth. She came with hard questions. That hard in the Hebrew, that 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 word hard questions really is chadai. It, it, it literally means riddles. So she came on trying to seek some deep truths about who Solomon was and Solomon's leadership and Solomon's political savvy and Solomon's God. She, she wanted to understand who it was that drove Solomon. What was the foundation for Solomon? And Solomon was considered the wisest man on the earth. And so she went to the right place. How did Solomon get such wisdom? The Bible tells me that one day God came to Solomon. Can you imagine God doing this to you? He came to Solomon and said, Solomon, what do you want from me? And Solomon said, I just want some wisdom. And the Bible says that God granted him some wisdom and the queen of Sheba learns of this godly wisdom. She travels to find out what it is about him. And I'm sure she would have taken back biblical truths to her kingdom. You got to understand what's happening. This is more than just an Ethiopian queen going to meet with a Jewish king. She would have learned about the nutrients of, of the gospel. She would have learned about a coming Messiah. She would have learned about how God parted the Red Sea. She would have learned about how God made water come out of a rock. She would have learned of how God always took care of his people. She would have taken that back. She would have taken that back to her kingdom and shared with them and what I love the, about her is that she remains teachable, even though she is a boss, even though she's a leader that that seemingly can be beyond being taught. She still humbles herself enough 
to be taught. And I love that about her. She remains teachable. And many of you today, that, that might be your story. Maybe you've, you've, you've gotten to a place in your life where you feel like you've learned enough that you don't have to learn anything else. But the second lesson you can learn from her is that she is seeking truth and that she is seeking wisdom and that she remains teachable. I don't know about y'all, man, but there's nothing more frustrating than an unteachable person. A person that lacks the ability to learn. Really, at the, at the core of that is pride. It's pride when you feel like you can't learn from anyone, but many of us feel like we've outgrown the season of learning. But the moment that you stop learning is the moment that you stop growing. It's important for me to put Bible here. Let me put a little bit of Bible on top of what I'm saying. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 9. Y'all put these in the chat room. Give instruction to the wise man. And he will still be wiser. Teach the righteous man and he will increase in learning. Second Timothy chapter two, verse two says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men that they will be able to teach others also. Let me keep going. Proverbs chapter four, verse five, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. One, one more, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. This is actually my favorite one. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, plans succeed. No one is more foolish than the person that thinks that they know everything. You're a fool. What you have to do is become like the queen of Sheba. You got to say, you know what? Even though I done, I done hit success, I still have to learn. There, there is still room for me to grow. There, there's a group of guys that I disciple. And this group of guys that I disciple, man, one, one of the things I, I think they, they'll all tell you is that in order to be a part of my discipleship group, you got to be teachable because you just I don't I just don't have time to deal with the pride and the arrogance. I, I need I, I need to sit with somebody that is willing to learn and my, I myself need to be able to sit and be willing to learn. You spell lack of teachability, P-R-I-D-E, pride. That at the core of it, that's all it is. But the Queen of Sheba gives us a model today of what it looks like to remain teachable, even though I'm a boss, even though I'm a leader, even though I'm strong, even though I got my degree, even though I moved up the corporate ladder, even though my business is doing well, I still need to learn. And shout out to all of you who have went to school and graduated during the quarantine. That's crazy in and of itself that you were able to stick In the midst of all the craziness and in the midst of lack of rhythms, you were able to stick to what you said that you were making a vow to, which is to get your degree. Shout out to y'all. We named them all a couple of weeks ago. We are so excited that you decided to continue on. Keep learning. Keep growing. Don't allow don't allow success to make you stop sitting at the table. Many of us are trying too quickly to be teachers when you should remain a student. We got to remain a student for a little longer. And so many of you, some of you got to go back to school. Maybe that's if you get nothing else from the Queen of Sheba, the fact that she was willing to learn and travel to learn, spend six months away. Maybe you need to spend a couple years getting your degree. Nothing says strong leadership like being teachable. Okay, here's where we are. She's a boss. She has good leadership. Number two, she's teachable. She's a seeker of truth. But number three, don't miss this. She secured the bag. Look at verse nine with me. Verse nine will say it this way. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold. Don't miss this. 
and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. And there was no spices such as those that Queen Sheba gave to the king. I love this. She, she arrives and when she gets there, she's not there for a handout. She actually comes with her own gifts. She brings to the king, uh, to King Solomon, she brings him gold and spices. And apparently there were no spices like there were in her kingdom and precious stones. The queen of Sheba was a woman of immense wealth, immense wealth. And in fact, archaeologists are still searching for some of her gold. I'll say it this way. They, they tried to figure out what her net worth is. Do you know that they are saying her net worth is in the billions? You, you want to talk about wealth. The queen of Sheba was able to secure her own bag. And when she does that, she dispels the myth that all women are gold diggers. She dispels the myth. She does not come to King Solomon and say, what you got for me? She come and say, baby, I got my own stuff. I I got my own bag. In fact, let me quote the great theologian Beyonce where she said, question, tell me what you think about me. I got my own diamonds and I got my own ring. She goes on in that song and says, the shoes on my feet, I bought them. The, The clothes I'm wearing, I bought them. The rock I'm rocking, I bought them. She goes on to say, the watch I'm wearing, I bought it. The house I live in, I bought it. The car I'm driving, I bought it. I just need a queen that's in the chat room right now. Put up that little emoji where you patting your hair right here like this. Just put that up for a second because this queen got her own bread. This queen has her own money. This queen was able to secure the bag. Now, I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel. I hate the prosperity gospel, but I also am not preaching a poverty gospel. I'm saying to you, go ahead and secure the bag. Can you just type that in for me and type it just like that? Go ahead and secure the bag. Because the queen of Sheba, this African queen, is able to become to make her kingdom economically powerful, which, which is so dope to me. Can, can I tell you why that's dope to me? Because growing up, So I I, I was born in 1980 and growing up in the 80s, one of the things that I often notice about Africa, my first initial imprint on Africa was that it was a impoverished nation. It was a impoverished continent. I thought the whole Africa was impoverished. Why? Because when I would turn on the TV, I would see commercials not uplifting Africa, but commercials that talked about sponsoring a kid commercial. Yeah, y'all remember those commercials. In fact, I was reading uh, all types of reports on how they had to take those commercials off because they were so degrading to children. And they're, they're starting to put them back up now. But I heard for a long time they took them off because what you see happening is you, you can be brainwashed over years and years and years to think that all, Af- all of Africa had malnutrition kids. So when, 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 I, when I read this, it excites my heart because I realized there was a part of Africa that was extremely economically powerful. And it was powerful because of the leadership of a black African queen that was able to secure the bag. It is very dangerous to look at those commercials because what you'll do is many people become have a savior mentality and so what you'll see is you'll see the commercials of the malnutrition kid that that has no food and we'll think that that's all of Africa and then we'll create all of these mission trips to only go to Africa as the as though poverty is only in Africa but last time I read there are some other impoverished countries that I had never seen us take a picture of and put it on our website 
Kosovo. Never seen that one. I've never seen uh, Ukraine or uh, Albania. I've never seen those places on our website. Why? Because it can be very disparaging for the children. But when I read this, it it gives me a new perspective. It gives me some hope. It helps me to reexamine my bias. Now I understand that Africa, at least during this time, had great, immense wealth. And they had it under the leadership of a queen. Here it is. She's a boss with good leadership. Here it is. She's teachable. She's a seeker of truth. Here it is. She's able to secure the bag. But lastly, she's a good model. And this is the greatest point. She's a good model because Jesus praises her leadership. Let me quote for you Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. If you have your physical copy of the Bible, you should flip there, underline this, write a line out to the margin and put, she is dope. The king of kings mentions her when he wants to rebuke the religious leaders. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, where he's talking to the religious leaders. He says, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment of this generation and condemn it. It says, for she came to the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus points us and praises this queen. It's William Watley that, that, that coins the term uh, that this woman is the woman praised by Jesus. This African woman is praised by Jesus. And Jesus says when he praises her that she'll rise up during the judgment. And that she'll condemn those who think that they've made it in. Don't don't miss this. The religious leaders that think that, that it is their religiosity and law keeping that will bring them in. Jesus says, nah, the African black woman down in Ethiopia is actually going to judge you. That that's exactly what Jesus is saying, which shows me that when she visited King Solomon, she got more than just gifts. When she visited King Solomon, she got more than just her answers, her questions answered. When she visited King Solomon, she would have heard about Israel's God. When she visited King Solomon, she would have found out about the king of kings, the coming Messiah. How do I know that? Because again, verse eight says, she says, blessed is the Lord your God. She begins to understand the nutrients of Israel's God. And why is that important? Because you can't tell me that as a great leader, she wouldn't have taken that back to her kingdom and shared with them what Israel's God was able to do and the faith that needs to be put in Israel's God. You can't tell me that this black African queen would not have went back and and impacted Ethiopia with with the message of a coming Messiah. What is, what, like, what, what is the message that Solomon would have shared with this African queen? Well, what is the message that Solomon would have said that this is what you actually need to hold on? He, he, he probably would have told him about a coming Messiah, the one in which the government will be on his shoulders. He, he probably would have told her about the one that the prophets will all write about. He, he probably would have told her about the one that Moses wrote about. He probably would have told her about the one that he was longing to see, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He probably would have told her about the one that will come born of a virgin. 
He probably would have told her about the one that John the Baptist will stand on the banks of Jordan River and say, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He probably would have told her about the one that will die a perfect death, taking all of our sins, our past sins, our present sins, our future sins. He probably would have told her about the one that after he dies will rise again in three days. And I'm sure he would have told her about the one that will come back for all of us. You got to understand something about this queen. She is dope, not simply because she secured the bag and has good leadership. What makes her so dope is that she gave her life to Israel's God. And I love this. I love this, man. This, this does something to your boy's heart. The reason this does something to my heart is because you got to understand that many people in the Western world thinks that Christianity is the white man's religion. It is foolish. It is foolish. You know why it's foolish? Because this event of her visiting the king would have taken place at least 950 years before Christ was even born. The transatlantic slave trade didn't happen to 1619. That's a long time between 950 BC and 1619 AD. You can't tell me that this queen wouldn't have went back to her country, to, to, to her people, to her kingdom, and share with them what Solomon has shared. I, I want to encourage you this week, do me a favor, read some of the Coptic church fathers. Re- read some of the fathers of the church at Alexandria. Re- read some of the Nigerian fathers. Read some of the Ethiopian fathers. Many of us have been, we've been bamboozled. And for so long, all we've done was read uh, European theologians. But I want to encourage you this week to start to read the, the, how Africa was shaped even by this queen. Next week, we'll be talking about the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts. And when we get to the Ethiopian eunuch, many people believe that the faith that the eunuch had and to go to Jerusalem was birthed out of the queen of Sheba and her visit years before. This is what our God is able to do. We have to stop distorting the gospel. We have to to widen the lens. We have to build our confidence. We have to understand that we come from a rich history, a history that is not absent of God, but a history that has had his presence smeared all over. We have to decolonize our thinking. We we have to understand what the scriptures are telling us. We have to unwrap that American flag off of the cross and let Jesus stand alone that is able to to save every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. We will all be around the throne, and that means African presence has to be there. I don't know who I'm talking to, man, but somebody needs to build their confidence. You, You found your confidence in Black Panther. Somebody has to find their confidence In the scriptures, the queen of Sheba gives us a good model today. She shows us leadership. She shows us what it, what it looks like to have an economically powerful part of Africa. She, she, she shows us what it looks like to be teachable, but most of all, she shows up, shows us what it looks like to trust in the living God and to give her life to God and to share the gospel and to impact an entire nation all because she was willing to give her life to the Lord. Who am I I talking to? Who who grew up and has been brainwashed and bamboozled to think that the scriptures doesn't represent us? To think that, who, who grew up to think that America was actually in the Bible when it's not? But Africa is. An African queen is. Father, I thank you, oh God, for this witness that we have today. 
Father, I'm thinking from Genesis, Genesis 2, all the way to Revelation, we see how you were saving all different tribes. We, we, we see, oh God, how, how you, you were, you didn't, you're not a God of partiality, but you're a God that's impartial. You're, you're a God that is able to save and reach deep down into every nation. And Father, I thank you, oh God, for the wisdom and the leadership and the life sacrifice that this African queen has given. Father, I pray that you would build us up. I pray that we would be a strong army that understands the text, understands the scriptures, understands what it is that you are working. We don't understand the times right now. We, we, we don't. I, I don't, I don't. We don't understand fully what it is that you are doing right now in this country. But I believe that you are shaking things up for your glory. I believe that you are shaking things up and getting them back on track until we can just worship the pure and living God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray, oh God, that you would recondition our hearts and our thinking for your glory and for your renown. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, man, it's good hanging out with y'all today. A lot to chew on, a lot to think about, a lot to study. But here's what I can promise you. The next three weeks after this, we will be hitting on Africa over and over again. Y'all see that Africa behind me? We're going to keep that up for the next four weeks, the next three weeks after this, so that we can just get a full understanding so that we can walk away and say, I didn't shrink away from teaching the whole counsel of God's word. Won't you receive this doxology? I'm going to let y'all go on with y'all day. It's nice outside. So y'all get outside, put the mask on, practice social distancing, keep hand sanitizer with you. Uh, and bring some water with you. Receive this doxology. It says, Now unto him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all times, now and forevermore. Amen. Hey, it was good hanging out with y'all, man. Grace and peace.